Hello and welcome to the really still quite new aviation podcast, Top Landing Gear, where we hope to both inform and entertain, although we may end up doing neither. Uh, so far, we've featured two iconic aircraft, Concorde and the Spitfire, with special guests to match, BA Concorde Captain John Hutchinson and Jim Schofield, Chief Spitfire Pilot at the Boltby Flight Academy. In this edition, we're not featuring an aircraft, but a pilot, an aviation legend, who 90 years ago became the first woman to fly solo from London to Australia, Amy Johnson. We'll find out more about Amy shortly and our very special guest, adventure pilot Amanda J. Harrison, who last year made her own attempt at emulating Amy's flight. And of course, we'll end with our mighty quiz. This is Top Landing Gear. So very warm welcome. Thank you very much for joining us. Let's just meet the team once again. Still in lockdown, by the way. Still no communal beer and curry, I'm afraid to say. I'm Rob Curling, a broadcaster, former quiz show host. Back in the day, I presented a number of air shows on the telly. I even worked with Raymond Baxter. Do you remember him? A former Spitfire pilot and presenter of anybody? Tomorrow's, Tomorrow's World. World. Tomorrow's World is correct. Roy. Roy, our pop star, what have you been up to this week? Uh, I've been doing very little pop star stuff and mainly podcast stuff because as a pop star, there's not a lot of work going around in 2020. Uh, so I've been doing lots of social media for top landing gear. <laughs> uh, James, you working? No, I've mainly been doing uh, podcast stuff for this podcast I've been with on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. So do listen out and do join us if you like this sort of stuff. Jess, what about you? Uh, I actually have, have still been working. Uh, I have been, you won't be surprised because I was a fencing contractor, fencing. Uh, but more importantly, I have been trying to catch the mole that is eating the potatoes in my vegetable garden, which is driving me bananas. Enough, enough about gardening. I'm tired of it. We're sandwiched between two gardening podcasts on the leisure chart on iTunes. And uh, I'm, try I'm trying to broaden our appeal, mate. Well, I hope it works. Uh, James, I hear there's a chance you're flying. There is a, tomorrow. I could be uh, doing a, a long haul flight uh, from Heathrow to Gatwick. Yay! <laughs> Big time, uh, James. Do you on a on a flight of that duration? Do you lower the landing gear? Uh, we have to. We have to. Otherwise, the landing is really sparky. No, I meant. Do you? Uh, sorry, what I meant to say was do you. Do you, I was so excited about getting landing gear in. <laughs> <laughs> he's gone oh, we've lost him oh James that's brilliant um, I might just ask you that again let's do some podcast stuff now <laughs> alright I think we should let's get underway it's all going horribly wrong <laughs>
We'll carry on. As always, um, getting things underway with our regular feature, Ask James. Now, this is your chance and indeed ours to ask our resident expert, James, anything you'd like to know about him or perhaps more interestingly about aviation. Uh, loads of you have decided not to bother, uh, but we, we, <laughs> we have had... We've had a couple, actually. We've got one which I think is from a mate of yours, James, but it's it's quite long, so bear with us. He kindly says, Jim Schofield's interview was excellent. I have to agree, it was. Um, I've met him a few times, he says, and a more humble man in his position I've yet to meet. Yes, get on with what's your question, sir. <laughs> uh, what's his name, Gubby. by the way, James? Gubby. Huey Meister. Yeah. Gubby, yeah, just Gubby. XRAF jump, is he? All right. He said he um, that uh, Jim Schofield touched on how the Harrier and the F-35 differ in that the Harrier was more of a pilot's aircraft in that it needed to be stick and rudded more than the F-35, inevitably making it easier to fly and allow the pilot to concentrate on operating it. I've been a stick and rudder man, says Gubby, for most of my 30-year flying career, and as a sim instructor, really noticed that the new generations would struggle sometimes at flying a modern jet like the C-17 around the sky when the automation wasn't available. The C-17 does a lot for the pilot, but lacks autoland, etc., that most, if not all, modern airliners have. The recent Pakistan Airways incident and the Air France stall into the Atlantic a few years ago has highlighted that the man-machine interface big words, even with automation, can be hazardous. Does your expert, Jim, this is you, wake up now, think that more hand flying is needed to be practised in the sim, maybe, to keep necessary skills honed? It's a long one. I think that's a great question. It's a fantastic question. Yeah. James? Sorry, could you just do it again? I missed it. <laughs> <laughs> Are you making oh, a cup of tea, Jim? Jim? Yeah. Sorry, not enough. Um, it's no, one, it's uh, one of your sleeping phases, wasn't it? In your bunk. Um, so the, 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 the basic question is, is are we losing um, handling skills with a newer generation of pilots, which I think is a very, very important uh, point, and a lot of people have, have, have highlighted it recently. There is a, a push to get people to experience upset manoeuvres training in a light aircraft during their training, and I think that that's inevitable. It should be taught from day one. The problem is we've gone down this road of, of such good aviation, uh, such good automation, mm. that um, flying schools are, are pushing out guys who can are brilliant at handling order pilots. They're brilliant at operating the aircraft to get it from A to B, but then they're not taught the basics that a lot of us were in the early days, the spinning, the aerobatics, all that sort of stuff. So I think there is a massive requirement to make sure that at some stage during your training, you've handled an aircraft right on the edge of its envelope so you know what it what you can get away with. Mm. Is it I mean, a bit you, like, would you call it flying by numbers? Uh, yeah, I mean, flying by numbers it, it can can describe a, a multitude of things. But yeah, it, it's the, when the, the sort of this 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 phrase used, uh, children of the the pink string, which is it means they they follow the 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 course on the uh, on the dials on the modern air, airliner, um, and those of us who were slightly before this. And again, I'm very lucky to have come from an era where we used to go through a lot more training than, than people are allowed financially these days. Mm. Um, they know how to very much follow a route from A to B, but if you take them off the route, it, it starts to uh, to upset them a little bit. So they're more computer operators than pure pilots? Yeah, I think so. Mm. I think that, that that's the way that, that aviation has gone. I mean, there's a, there's a great... Um, analogy of the of a, an airbus and an airbus is a pilot we, we have a pilot a switch and a dog <laughs> and the 
the dog is there to make sure the pilot doesn't touch the switch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Goodness. Right. Um, obviously, that's that's a little bit comical, but there is a um, yeah, that's the top line worry dog. That, that we're getting so uh, mm. so uh, tied up with with automation. And automation is so good; it's so reliable yeah. that on the rare occasions it does go wrong, you need the basic skills to back it up. Yeah. Do you think? Can you see that changing in training to come? Uh, well, I, I think it, it has changed. There has been a, a fundamental shift in the last two years, particularly because of uh, what happened with the Air France incident four or five years mm. ago. Basically, they stalled a perfectly serviceable aircraft on the fact they were getting strange indications. Um, and it was because there was, there was – well, one of the reasons they think it was because they didn't have the basics of knowing that if you pull back on a stick forever, it's not going to recover for you. It's going to stall and, and fly into the ground. Gosh. Yeah. I mean, that is a, that's a fairly basic thing you would think. Do you think in days gone by, um, more pilots of commercial aircraft would have done things like have a light aircraft or, you know, fly in a team or maybe have yeah. interests other than just a nine-to-five commercial airline pilot's job? Well, I, or is that, I, I, is that still it, the case? It, it, in the last probably 10 to 20 years, aviation training has generally gone from um, where before it was a lot of – originally on the airlines recruited from the military, and the military had different skill sets that they'd been taught. Then it became people who were self-improvers. They became instructors for a couple of hundred hours. They flew with lots of other people. They flew smaller types, up to, building up to a commercial pilot and then an air transport pilot. But now we have these <clears> – <throat> Uh, integrated schools, which are great. I'm not taking anything away from them, but you give them a hundred thousand pounds. You you're with them for a year, and they give you you get a license at the end of that, and they have honed you to pass an air transport pilot's license course, with very little requirement really to look at flying the the, the old sort of stick and rudder way as much as mm. used to happen in the past. Not so many Amy Johnsons around them. No, not so many. Oh, well, those that are, you know, aren't going necessarily going so much into aviation. They're still there, and there are still some great young guys coming through. I'll never take that away from them. There are still some really good, good people, and the schools themselves generally produce a really good product for, for the airlines. But they just don't have the depth of experience that we were lucky enough to have coming from a slightly earlier generation. We must get on to Amy very soon, but there's one more question which came through um, actually after our pilot episode for you, James. I think it's another mate of yours. Um, get James to wait, explain. Wait, 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 wait. James has two mates. No, it's yeah. the same guy. Oh, right. He just uses right. a different name. A... <laughs> oh, right. Okay. That makes sense. <laughs> He's called Stephen Birch. Get James to explain why he was the face of Western Supermare. For many oh, years. I, I mean, I is... I hate to think what the answer is going to be here. Is it anything to do with donkeys? It's nothing. Lucky, fortunately, that that photograph was somewhere else. But um, <laughs> the um... he never lets it just go, does he? <laughs> <laughs> the Western Super. I was. It was actually my last ever flight in a Wessex helicopter, yeah. and. Um, we were asked to visit Western Supermare to do Western Heli Days, which was a oh, helicopter yes. air show. Yeah. Uh, this was probably in the 1999 era. And I, um, probably before that, actually, I was, <laughs> um, so we, we took a Wessex, which was, there was a Chinook, a Wessex, and that, that was about it, uh, other than much smaller helicopters. Uh, and for some reason, somebody took a photograph of the three crew in front of the, the aircraft and it appeared on posters around Western Supermare for three years after that. Um, 
just basically depressing people and saying, look, the Air Force are pretty cool guys, except these lot. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. So these were all guys like you who'd failed the fast jet course. Uh, there was well, I was with a navigator and a crewman. Um, yeah. So they'd even, they'd even failed any pilot course at all. <laughs> is, is there? It, is this poster still in existence? Can we put it on the Instagram? Oh, I, I, I doubt it. I, doubt, I think they've all been burnt. They were, uh, it was the initial thing. The coronavirus was caused by that po- that poster. So I think a lot of them were were burnt. We'll get someone to find it. Let's turn our attention to the main subject of this podcast then, Amy Johnson, who set numerous long-distance flying records in the 1930s and, of course, became the first woman to fly solo from England to Australia. She was also a huge inspiration for so many female pilots that followed and remain so to this day. And, Jez, you've got some Amy quick facts. Rob, you're quite correct. I have some, well, not so quick facts, but facts nonetheless. So here we go. Some Amy Johnson and de Havilland. Quick facts. Amy Johnson was born in Hull in 1903 and died in 1941. She was the eldest of four sisters and went to Sheffield University. She moved to London and a chance Sunday afternoon bus ride took her to Edgware in North London and the Stag Lane Aerodrome, which in 1920 had become the main manufacturing base of the de Havilland Aircraft Company. It was here that her love of flying was ignited. Johnson gained her pilot's licence number 1979 on the 6th of July 1929 with just 85 hours of training. So Roy, there's hope for you yet, just 84 (laughs) for you to go. Just 10 months before her legendary solo flight to Australia. She left Croydon Airport on the 5th of May 1930 and landed in Darwin in Australia's Northern Territories 20 days later, just missing out on the all-time record. She was the first woman to complete this challenge. Her aircraft was the de Havilland DH-60 Gypsy Moth, a two-seat biplane, registration G-A-A-A-H, and named Jason after her father's business trademark. Many of de Havilland's early aircraft were named after insects due to Geoffrey de Havilland's interest in entomology. Jim, that's insects to you. Other famous (laughs) marks are the Hermes Moth, the Genet Moth, and probably the most well-known, the Tiger Moth. Uh, Johnson became world famous after her incredible death-defying trip. She modelled and at least 10 songs were written about her. She even spawned a hairstyle, the Amy Wave, which Roy is currently sporting. (laughs) (laughs) That's just mean. Uh, She arrived back at Croydon on the 4th of August as a national heroine, and they reckon a million people welcomed her home on the route from Croydon Airport to the Grosvenor Hotel in London. She was awarded the CBE from King George V. Amy's record-breaking flights continue throughout the 1930s, and other record flights include uh, Croydon to Moscow, uh, Croydon to Tokyo, and Croydon to Cape Town. Amy Johnson married Jim Mollinson on the 29th of July, 1932. from the doors? (laughs) Not Jim Morrison. (laughs) Yeah, Jim Morrison from the doors. (laughs) <laughs> well, well he kept that. that quiet, didn't he? Yeah. 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 yeah, he's not as young as he looks. Um, and and Jim, uh, Jim's, uh, <laughs> Jim's extraordinary proposal came to Amy after just eight hours and whilst they were actually flying. Sadly, the marriage only lasted six years before Jim recorded his first album. <laughs> uh, <laughs> with the outbreak of the Second World War and the formation of in 1940 of the Air Transport Auxiliary, Amy joined up 
The ATA were often referred to as the Beauty Chorus due to the large number of high-profile women pilots. Amy quickly rose to the rank of first officer. Sadly, Amy died on the 5th of January 1941 when the twin-engined Airspeed Oxford she was delivering mysteriously crashed into the Thames estuary. The aircraft was many miles off track and flying in adverse weather conditions. No concrete explanation was established as to the cause of the crash and Amy's body was never recovered. Her death remains shrouded in mystery. Coincidentally, Amelia Earhart, the pioneering female American pilot, also disappeared without trace in the Central Pacific during her 1937 attempt to circumnavigate the globe. And there are your not-so-quick facts. Brilliant. Bravo. Bravo. Fascinating. The one on uh, about her 84 hours, is that how long it took her to get... 85 hours to get her PPL, because that's quite a lot. That's how long it took her to get her licence. And I don't know how many hours she got before she actually flew to Australia, but it was only nine or ten months after getting her PPL uh, to her trip. So she, mm-hmm. she qualified yeah. in July and flew to Australia in the, the, the following May. Okay, it's just 85 hours is quite a lot of hours to get your licence. Um, Are you querying my brother's facts? No, I'm just uh, saying. James. I'm just saying. I wouldn't bother. It's not something like to shout about. You it took me double everyone else's time to get my license. And yet, when she embarked <laughs> on her flight, <laughs> yeah, you don't know how long it's going to take me to get my license. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's like taking it's like taking <laughs> seven attempts to pass a driving test. But so, she was actually very inexperienced in terms of taking on that epic flight she didn't have a huge amount of experience and she admitted herself that she was really bad at landing and i'm sure many of people have been following the fascinating diary on the amy johnson arts trust and the one that croydon airport museum have also been putting out of amy's daily diary of her flight and the amount of time she pranged her airplane on landing (laughs) i don't know know how a she survived or they kept on managing to repair it it was Astonishing. Those, those diaries are absolutely brilliant. I read them yeah. in, in one go the other day, and I just mm. thought, how did she make it as mm. far as the, the other side of the channel? It was incredible. <laughs> I mean, talk mm. about daring do and mm. probably luck and just ballsiness. Mm. It was extraordinary. Yeah. It was, it's a brilliant courage. story. Immense courage, I think, to do that. And, you know, and so many other aviators. But, she, James, I mean, she really did genuinely influence the world of uh, female aviation i mean aviators female aviators have been around since day one uh, of aviation but there aren't that many commercial pilots still are there no i think it's uh, i think uh, um it's 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 about five percent uh five to seven percent of pilots are female um and yeah i mean i think that amy is a you know a, a real sort of figurehead for the for the for the, for the female pilot movement um I think nearly all people you speak to think there should be more women pilots um, because the skills they bring, you know, just match up with with, with the whole industry of flying. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's not enough, and um, you know, hopefully, this this sort of the, the history of her will will inspire a generation. But it needs to be inspired mm. at a very very young age. Um, but it, it it needs to be. We need to be going into schools, into primary schools, into you know really early education to tell girls particularly in flying which is what what i know about you can do anything there's you know and the problem is if we get 
uh, 5% of applicants uh, to an airline to be a pilot are, are women. To employ much more than 5%, you've got to start wondering, are you changing the the, the the requirements to get other people in, which in a safety-critical industry might be the best mm. thing. Um, so what we need is more women to apply in the very, very first place. And mm. I, I support anything that, that gets out there and gets girls involved at a very early age in, in the, the, the sort of STEM and um, particularly aviation mm. industries. Um, I'm, I'm reading a wonderful book by Joe Wheeler, called Hurricane Girls. And it's all about the ATA pilots in the Second World War who did astonishing things, of which Amy was one, as you said, Jez, in your, your fact. But James, I'm, I want to ask you about the ATA pilots because they were flying predominantly tiger moths. Then they got permission to fly bigger and faster beasts. They ended up flying hurricanes, spitfires, four-engine bombers. I mean, the different types of aircraft that it would fly from day to day is mind-boggling, isn't it? It, it is. And I... Just before you answer, James, uh, the ATA is, for anyone listening... The Air Transport Auxiliary. Uh, was that, that wasn't just women, though, was it? It was... No, no, it wasn't. I think there were a few hundred female pilots, maybe just over 100 and about 1,000 male pilots. So they yeah. were just a proportion of... of right. They were set up, basically... Um, to deliver aircraft from factories to dispersal airfields and the like, so that uh, combat pilots weren't taken out of out of combat. So they were ferry okay. pilots, basically. Amazing. Yeah, um, and I think was it Lord Beaverbrook said that they were almost as in instrumental in winning the Battle of Britain as the fighter pilots who actually shot down other airplanes because mm. they relieved wow. those pilots from those duties and they kept the front line. Um, Full of aircraft, if you like. So, uh, yeah. yeah, I think they, they, they have a, a great history. But in terms, history. James, uh, of, of flying the, all those yeah. different types, yeah. Uh, it's astonishing, the, isn't it? It is astonishing. And I mean, if I get into a different mark of my aircraft, I'm confused. Um, <laughs> to be fair, if I get into an aircraft, I'm confused. <laughs> no one wanted to say anything, but, yeah, you've said it out loud now. <laughs> they, um, they are... Their training was very much. I think you trained on the first first aircraft, so the Tiger Moth or whatever it is. And then if yeah. that, if that was all they felt you could handle, you just stayed delivering Tiger Moths everywhere. You then after you consolidated a little bit on that, you then moved on to a maybe a twin aircraft or a more complex aircraft. And so people moved out into different types, uh, but there was no real hurry to get them trained. They were they were allowed to take as long as they wanted. So that was a it was a good training environment for anybody to do it. But yeah, just getting one day to get into a Wellington and the next day to get into a Spitfire and then mm. a Tiger Moth. Yeah, yeah. It just although the basic stick and rudder, as we say, um yeah. technique is is similar in all of them, it's still a hell of a lot to deal with. Uh, and I imagine it is. very and also, pedantic reading of checklists was involved. Yes, and, I'm sure. Um, and, you know, and, and doing and everything nice changed. and slowly. Yeah, sorry to cut across you. In flight, they uh, they weren't allowed to have radio contact with no. uh, with the ground. So and, and they didn't have any navigation aids on the aircraft. Some of them had maps, not all of them, and um, they weren't supposed to go above the clouds so that they could navigate using yeah. railway lines and roads. But often they did end up going to the clouds. Yeah. I mean, some of the stories are, you know, the courage and, yeah, and no, the it was, skill was just phenomenal. Yeah. And it was it was you know, again different very different times, but uh, but absolutely fascinating. And, and and I think you know you could do a whole program on on the ATA mm. really. Um, it yeah. is a fascinating. The, the 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 funny thing I I was reading about it the other day was that they weren't ever, they weren't ever allowed to fly armed aircraft 
So although they had all the guns for it, they weren't allowed to fly bullets. And then a few of them started getting pick, picked off by Germans. So they then started to allow them to, to fly armed aircraft. Really? <laughs> oh, they did allow them yet? Because I thought they were yes. never allowed. But I no, did they, wonder if maybe... They there, there was a, so so they were allowed at some stage certain aircraft were allowed to uh, to carry arms right well i wonder if we should now move on to our special guest who has blown us all away with her incredible story she's adventure pilot amanda j harrison who set off in her tiger moth in may 2019 with the aim of emulating Amy Johnson's flight to Australia, only she got turned back by the political situation in the Middle East. But she does plan to go again once the time is right. So in a moment, we'll hear a clip from the interview I did with Amanda at Duxford in October last year, remembering, of course, that her entire unedited interview will be available in our full flaps edition. We thought it'd be quite fun if we each put forward a case for which clip we'd like to go into this programme. So we've all listened several times to this interview, I think. Um, who's got an idea on which clip? Roy, you're limiting us to just three minutes, aren't you, for this clip? Uh, yes. Rather I, selfishly. Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, I just want people to enjoy the interview in full next week. So I just want to give like a little tiny taste of something which really is an inspiring interview. And uh, when Jez listened to it, he put a message on the WhatsApp going, oh, great interview, bro. And I was, <laughs> I was like, oh, God, Jez is getting all emotional again. I'll be the judge of that. <laughs> Uh, but, but as a cynical 41 year old i i was truly moved by the interview i found it really inspiring everything that amanda had gone through both personally and as an incredible incredible aviator and this amazing journey uh my there, there's so many good bits but the bit which i chose is when she was comparing her day job of flying uh business executive jets uh to the tiger moth and when she was describing going through the carpathian mountains it's it, it, it i you know her excitement is just her enthusiasm is just really brilliant yeah nice one nice choice jimbo amanda j harrison was it i was listening yes. to mary j blige sorry i've got the wrong <laughs> <laughs> for goodness sake cut that out um, <laughs> My my favourite part of the interview was, uh, as a practical guy, she's just talking about the decisions she has to make survival-wise as to whether yeah. to sit on a parachute or sit on a uh, a rubber dinghy. Yes. And she, she, she chose the rubber dinghy for what, what she explains is fantastic reasons. And as a sort of logical thinking uh, part of these type bloke, that, makes, that made all the sense to me. And I, I, I love that bit. Mm. What about you, Jez? Uh, well, apart from the fact I obviously loved all of it, because I told you that, um, I found her, I, I, the whole thing is great, but I really found her quite inspiring because she obviously has severe dyslexia. And the fact that she can't read her notes, she can't necessarily <laughs> yeah. read a map. She had to have an iPod, uh, a, a, a sort of a special yellow hue to help her sort out the order of words. That's and right, a yellow filter. Fact, yeah. That's it, yeah, sorry, a yellow filter. And I just found that, with all that going on, she's flying a 1930s aircraft to Australia. That's a, just a, I don't care, I'm going to do this anyway, sort of <laughs> resilient um, bugger everybody else attitude. And I love that. I think it's a really brilliant thing. So I loved, I took that away from her, her, her sort of um, mm. uh, just, I can do this, whatever attitude. Yeah. I thought it was brilliant. So somehow we have to pick a clip. My, my favourite one is where she talks about being excited, being interviewed by me. I thought that was a great... <laughs> 
I thought it was a really, really good comment. I, I never heard that. No, no I think it was. Is that because it? Is that because it never happened, Rob? <laughs> I, I've got a, I've got a time code for you uh, where it happens. <laughs> no, I, I, it's really difficult. I, yeah, there's so many scribbles I've made that it ends up being the whole interview, really. So, Roy, you're in charge. You, you're going to have to decide. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This whole conversation. Yes, is yes. Because <laughs> I'm the one editing it, so it's my choice. Tough. Uh, but everyone has to listen to the whole thing when it comes out next week. It's awesome. Perfect. Brilliant. Well, let's hear a clip of that interview now. Here's Amanda J. Harrison, adventure pilot extraordinaire. Do you just long to get back out and be sitting in your tiger moth? Sometimes. I'm very fortunate in the people that I fly with. We're allowed to hand fly quite a lot of the jet, although it is on autopilot yeah. a lot. So, yes, yeah. there is an awful lot of structure and... And in the commercial world, there's a lot of pressure to be there. So these people have hired the jet and you yeah. have to be there no matter what the weather. So when the volcanoes and thunder and lightning and the world's falling apart, you still got to fly and you go, oh, well, actually the aeroplane <laughs> can't fly, so I can't fly. But yes, this is, it's two different separate worlds. Yeah. And of course this now, I would have to say possibly is my greatest love because because we've flown across the Mediterranean, the Alt Pass, so through the Carpathian Mountains. I saw your pictures, absolutely stunning. You just, so that, that day, I'd delayed a day because it had been a little bit thundering, a little bit foggy, and the yeah. next day we got up, the fog cleared. We're at the airfield, you smell the grass. I'm surrounded by all these wonderful people that are gonna come up in their small airplanes and fly formation with me. And you look down the Alt Pass and it's blue skies, little fluffy clouds. The airplane was purring away. You've got that little vibration, I'm flying by myself. And I've got mountains this side, 8,000 feet, with snow on the top. Wow. Mountains this side, 6,000 feet. And I'm flying down this beautiful valley with Dracula's castle, you know. And I, you've got to pinch yourself. Yeah. I, I don't even know if anybody's done that in a tiger moth. No. And I just, I still get goosebumps. I'm getting goosebumps now because <laughs> I can remember it. And it was such an amazing flight. And, and me and this little airplane were, were flying alongside. And then they disappeared because they had to go back at the border. So oh, I then had right. to fly by myself, and you just think, yeah, that probably beats the, beats the jet flying, doesn't it? <laughs> I, 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 just a little, <laughs> I think. And so with your additional fuel tanks, what were sort of the longest passages you could do? Uh, seven and a half hours. Wow. Which would be across the Timor Sea. And I only did, wanted to do that once. Seven and a half yes, hours? Yes, I only wanted to do that once. <laughs> All the rest of my things. So I normally had five or five and a half hours or six hours. And then the seven and a half hours was going to be the last one across the Timor Sea. Goodness me. Because that's a lot. That's a lot of time. Because as you can see, she's, she's got no autopilot. No, no. Of it's all stick and rudder. So, yeah. And she has to be flown at all times. There is no... You, you can't take your hands off a tiger moth. No. They just... Especially the older ones. She's got a bit of a, a bit of a, a wobbly wing on this side. Right. So you always have to... And if you take your hand off to write something down, the aeroplane goes, aha! <laughs> and goes off on her own. You can't let you come back here. So she's a very physically demanding aircraft. Well, that was the amazing Amanda J. Harrison, and you'll be able to hear her full interview, and you really must. It's it's utterly inspiring. Her story is incredible. It'll be available on full flaps a week after this particular episode has dropped. So depending on when you are listening to this, you may find it's available right now. So thanks very much indeed to Amanda J. Harrison for being our guest this week. Now then, time for the quiz. 
the problem with the quiz is Jez has already said all the facts that I'd learnt. So, <laughs> so yeah, you, but you also know that I'll have forgotten them all and I'll get disqualified yeah. again. There'll be no repetition and you all to make a proper okay. effort. Right, so let's just hear everybody's buzzers first. What have you brought along this week, James? Uh, mine is my f- trusty stick shaker. Oh, a sign of an emergency. Right, thank you. Jez? Uh, from one of my favourite films ever. Edgar, you're coming in too fast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. And Roy, what have you got? Oh, Stuka. There you go. Oh, yeah, excellent. Very good. So you got rid of your hooter and replaced it with a Stuka. The dog ate the hooter. <laughs> the dog ate not the even hooter. joking, the dog came in and just ate the hooter. Did you not, did you not hear it? <laughs> <laughs> no, he, he still can hear it. Every time Britain's passed. <laughs> right, everybody, settle oh, down. Goodness. Question yeah. number one. Uh, whose record was Amy trying to break for a solo flight from London to Australia? Jera mentioned that she was trying to break a record of 15 days. Uh, yes, James, stick shaker. Was it her husband? It was um, not uh, her uh, husband. Uh, Jim Morrison of the Doors, no. <laughs> Jim Morrison. Uh, anyone else want to have a go? Yes, it's coming to me. You need to buzz if you want to answer. This is typical of Jez. He's... he's Found it in his research and forgotten about it. I'm going to have to count you out. If you don't get it soon, he was an Australian. His first name is a name you sometimes call me. Uh, Oh, hang on, hang on, hang on. Edgar, you're coming in too fast. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes, Jez. I think it was something like Bert Hinckley. You're so close. I might just give it to you. It's Bert Hinkler. And he was the first person to do it in 15 days. Amazing record, uh, flying an Avro Avian. Uh, he was an Australian, so we don't really count it. No. Um, now, <laughs> in, uh, in 1929, the year before Amy's flight, another British adventurer made an attempt on Bert Hinkler's 15-day record. And like Amy, he was flying a gypsy moth, but mechanical problems meant it ended up taking him 41 days. He is perhaps more famous for setting other non-aviation records. Who was he? Jez is on form. He was the guy who named all his boats after uh, the gypsy moth. Correct. His name, he was a sailor, and his name is Sir Francis Chichester. Well done, Jez. Well Well done. Your research has paid off. Isn't that amazing? I I didn't really ever realise this. I always thought he was just a sailor. But uh, fantastic. Yeah, he, you're right. All his boats were Gypsy Moth, and he became the uh, first person to sail single-handed around the world by the Clipper route and the fastest on his Gypsy <laughs> Moth 4 in 1967. Now then, film time. A feature film about Amy Johnson was released in 1942, starring Anna Neagle as Amy. In America, it was called Wings and the Woman. What was it known as in the UK? Oh. Yes, James, stick shaker, alert, alert, was alert. That, was that one, They Flew Alone? It was They Flew Alone. Oh. How did you know that? Nobody knows that. I, I've been doing Amy research this week. Well, you haven't done very well, well so done. far. Is that all you can remember? 
Well, I knew she was married to the chap from the door. <laughs> There is that. That's uh, really good, Jim. Well done. Because that, yeah, it was a tough one to find. They flew alone. Other films in the genre include, of course, Biggles Flies Undone, uh, which was never released. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, dear. Is this where we got to? Oh, it's pathetic. Now, by day 13, Amy was still on course to beat Bert Hinkler's record of 15 days, but soon after taking off from Bangkok, her engine cowling blew open and she was forced to land. The delay made it impossible for her to reach her next destination 900 miles away in one hop and instead had to do it over two days, putting an end to her chances of breaking Hinkler's record. Where has she been trying to get to? Jez, let's think, hear it. I think it might be Singapore. You're absolutely right. It is Singapore, oh. 900 miles south of Bangkok, oh. Singapore, which at the time, of course, was part of Malaya. Uh, and it <coughs> remained part of Malaya. Oh, here we go or, again. Uh, Malaysia. Part of Malaya. It remained part of Malaysia. Until, oh. until 1965. Rob. No, this is really interesting. Rob, Rob, where were you born? I, I was born in born? Malaya, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> Shortly after she had passed overhead. You, um, you should have mentioned. But you know, I'm happy to talk about it any time. Uh, the, uh, the Malayan emergency and the Operation Fire Dog, uh, which was the aviation uh, end of things, amazing. I must just tell you about Singapore. It is the only state, I think, to have have had independence forced upon it against its own wishes. Uh, the Malayan Federation expelled it for being annoying. And so that's how Singapore mm. got its independence. Which may very well happen to you if you keep going about Malaya right, from this right. podcast. <laughs> one, more, one more question in the quiz. Jez, you are winning so far. Well done. Get You've it. all Come listened on, to Amanda's interview. What basic flying instrument does the tiger moth not have as standard? James, the stick shaker. We can hear a Stuka dive bomber in the background, but he's just too slow. He's too far away. Yes, Jim. I well, I don't. I was going to say an artificial horizon. You, you are correct. It's an artificial yeah. horizon. You're yeah. absolutely right. That does seem strange, doesn't it? Or maybe it doesn't seem strange. Well, I mean, it didn't work. to be fair, it, yeah, an artificial horizon only really works. It is only really used if you're in cloud or can't see the ground. So uh, as long as she stays visual, she doesn't really need. Well, there's no guarantee you are going to stay visual, is there? That's that's the then the problem you're in. Hmm. You find yourself up a creek with no paddle, yeah. or in a cloud with no artificial horizon, yeah. as the old <laughs> aviation why, why? saying goes. <laughs> but Snappy. Sure, it's not a difficult. It's not a. It's not a. It's not a difficult or heavy instrument to have installed. Why did, wouldn't have De Havilland have just? I thought it was one of the three basic instruments on any aeroplane. Uh, it was one of the ones that I was obviously taught on, but uh, no, yeah. I think. It, it, the, the turn and slip indicator at the time was because uh, oh, yes. the artificial horizon needed a gyro, and a gyro was f fairly advanced technology back in the 1920s. What a great quiz. Jez, you have won with, I think, about four Come correct answers. On. In second place, James Gartner with three, and in last place, who'd never got to say a word because of his Stuka, was just too far away across the channel, Roy. No points, Roy. Oh, come on, Roy. Disappointing. Oh. Come on, mate. Come on. Come that, that's not even a Stuka sound. The actual buzzer sound, yeah. it says epic fail. <laughs> well, there you are. That <laughs> well, explains all. How, how, how very suitable. 
It's Stukerish. Yeah. <laughs> it is. Yeah. We never got to that. Epic bit. foul. Yeah. <laughs> well, guys, well done. It's been a fascinating podcast. Great to hear from Amanda Harrison on her extraordinary life and her extraordinary attempts on Amy Johnson's flight. And don't forget that that will be available on the Full Flaps edition as well. Roy, anything you'd like to say to our beloved listeners, our audience? Well, just a big thank you. Thanks for all the wonderful comments. Please go out and tell people about this podcast. If there's anybody you think who would like it and come and say hello on any social media platform because there's three unemployed men at the moment with very little else to do with their time so make some sad middle-aged men happy by come and say hello on instagram twitter or facebook absolutely right and remember you can still hear our spitfire and concord pods the full flaps interviews are well worth a listen as well coming up in future episodes of top landing gear we'll be talking air shows with george smoky bacon of the british air display association and leader of the army air corps historic flight and we're also planning an episode featuring flight lieutenant alan Potter. The pilot who flew his Hawker Hunter through Tower Bridge illegally, of course. And do let us know anything or anyone you'd like us to feature, and we'll try and make it happen. So thanks so much for listening. Remember, you can get in touch with us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Top Landing Gear, where you can also leave your questions for our expert James Cartner. And we'll also post when our next episode will be up and running. So, however you're listening to us, as Roy said, please leave a review, especially if you've enjoyed it. Thanks very much for listening. Bye for now. We're getting quite good at it. Yeah. Oh, guys, you were, that's unfortunately, there's so much good stuff. Can we make it a longer podcast this week, Rob? Uh, no. No.